Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pulp Science. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we've just pulled over on the highway because we passed a haunted church and we're going to go and look inside of it. Do you want any, anybody have some comments before we go into the haunted church? I want to tell my family that I love them, but this was worth it. But this was worth it. The impending murder or the disappearance or the crossover into a demon dimension. Describe the church to the to our dear So husband. it looks like it's like a an orthodox style. It's got the orthodox cross on the top and it's got like one single onion dome. It's what I like to call them. In Singer. Are we in Saskatchewan? We're in Saskatchewan. Uh, we were driving by and we're like, oh, it looks super abandoned. It's definitely abandoned. And now uh, we're going to investigate. It's even got a rusty fence some bushes so anyway uh it was nice knowing you all justin, and let justin talk to his family okay justin i hope there's a spectral bride situation going on in here okay uh, look at these brambles <laughs> in this and wow the Church of the Holy it's Ghost. got a broken gate like every window is Red, a little broken things are just shifting everywhere it's awesome Okay, we're looking at the church right now from inside the car. There's a big bramble in front of it. The fall colors have filled it with a litany of golds and reds and greens. There's a sign on it that says Church of the Holy Ghost, but it's all faded and white. It's a red brick church with like those onion tops. We're getting out of the car now. We'll talk to you again soon. I hope. I advise you to call this party off now. The ghosts are already moving, and that's a bad sign. Okay, we're back. <laughs> we're back from the haunted church. We'll post some pictures somewhere where you guys can find them, dear listeners. Um, what do you have to say about this? I've seen some harrowing things this day, and one of them was Gregory's butt. <laughs> so the church is boarded up. <laughs> Some harrying things. Uh, the church is boarded up, uh, and we were trying to be respectful of the fact that we did not want to trespass on holy land. Don't laugh. We didn't trespass, but the broken windows and smashed open sections gave us a pretty good view of a place I would not want to be at night. What do you have to say about this, Justin? It was cool. That's not really Justin. Justin's dead now. We left him at the church. You see, the thing about dark Justin is that he's been looking for inroads to stay forever. And now that we have walked around the circle three times counterclockwise, it is in there forever. So get ready for some sassy demon, Justin. That's the future for him. Okay, so I have a I have a practical... Listen, this is super pulp science where we talk about how genre gets made. Podcast? Yeah, why are we excited by, why do we get excited by empty buildings? What do you think that, what do you think that, why is that? I'm going to start the car and get us back on the road. Empty buildings I like because of the, uh, the implied narrative. You, your mind just fills up with, you know, its history, what you think it was before and why did it close and why did they leave so many things in there? That's there was like, yeah, all the... All so 
most of the windows and doors were boarded up, but we did find a couple that we could peer into, and all the pews were still there, and quite a few of the, uh, there's a big box of candles sitting right in the middle, and, uh, yeah, there was still quite a bit of stuff that was left, so, like, weird. Anyways. So, for me, when I see an open, yeah, very much like you said, it's like the you can fill it up with these stories. But also I think it's just the way that we stand on the back of all the narratives of the haunted spaces that, that we've ever... There? Is there another one? What? Oh, there is another church. A rival church. Is it also abandoned? In Jedburgh. Whoa. So I can imagine now a scenario where two conflicting congregations have clashed. And that one, this very beautiful white painted church of a similar design, is only maybe a kilometer away. We've just spotted. Do we go inside? No. Uh, I want to go home. Already chanced it with the first church. It actually looked like some kind of something had ripped through it on the inside. So I'm really, I'm just stop, stop making excited pleasure noises, Justin. Oh God. Um, <sighs> Should have just like, left you in there. <laughs> why do we like empty buildings? Why, why do we like empty buildings? Um, because I want to fill that empty building with the story, like Justin said. Uh, but it's just, it's kind of, I don't know uh, if it's just because we grew up in the prairies or how indicative this is in just kind of in, in areas where you have easy access to rural um landscapes but they're kind of they're peppered with abandoned barns and abandoned spaces that are just left there um, seemingly like the families had just picked up and and gone and I think a big part of storytelling is asking yourself wild hypotheticals uh, especially in genre to just get you to where the kernel of a story is and that's what kind of gets exciting it's like that age-old game of sitting around in a circle and a person adds on something to it as well that landscape is just just keeps adding more and more potential for what just what crazy witchcraft is inhabiting common spaces because we just want everything to be magic and demons i have an imagination like anyone else it's easy to see a demon in every dark corner it occurred to me too that uh because it was a church i think there's this inherent piece of you that's like well wouldn't god look after his own house and if no one's there what could have inhabited it afterwards and that just created it's like the the underlying narrative in so many horror stories is the way one religion flees and something else inhabits that husk maybe we're haunted now maybe on this episode of super pulp science we are now haunted um so everything Everything we say now will be in some way to indoctrinate you into our demonic ways of making art and books and taking them on the road, uh, which is where, what we are currently doing, because I guess we're now doing a podcast episode. So it does kind of seem like this episode just started out of nowhere, but I think it was out of the legitimate concern we were not going to come back from visiting this abandoned church. Uh, but yes, we are on the road on the, uh, the beautiful Yellowhead number 16 highway coming back from Edmonton and from 11 days of pure torment being surrounded by one another and our contemporaries what a nightmare (laughs) 
I think it's also important to take little stops like this on road trips because every time we do something like this, it becomes one of the most memorable parts of the road trip. You know, when I was growing up, my dad would always annoy my mother when we were on a road trip by pulling over. He'd say, oh, look, what's that? And then we'd be pulled over and we'd be going to check out what that was. Sometimes there's a field, sometimes there's an old tree, sometimes it turned into a picnic spot, sometimes it was just a quick stop. Um, as a father now, I've learned that sometimes you do it just so that you can sneak off into a ditch and have a whiz while nobody's watching. <laughs> uh, I think now that that may have been what dad was up to, low those many times distracting us, but uh, you know, like we were on a road trip for business, but why not stop and enjoy a little of it, you know? Because business isn't fun, Gregory. Art isn't fun. Haunted pile of rocks. Oh, good. Just pointing wildly. Dead man's rocks. <laughs> it will soon be dead man's rocks if you pull us over one more time. <laughs> um, yeah, it, uh, it is really, it's just great. It's also just kind of, I'm a bit sleepy. Like, I'm still dazed because um, we got up really early to go today. So it's good for waking you up and getting you back into the zone of being a human being. Um, and it's been a long road. Uh, does anyone want to talk about how Edmonton how Edmonton was? Because last time we, uh, you were here with us, dear listener, we were just on the road to there from Saskatoon. And uh, now everything is coming full circle at long last. So post-mortem Edmonton. Postmortem Edmonton. So this this was the first year that Fan Expo has officially taken over the Edmonton show. Um, so last year it was run by the Calgary Comic and Expo crew, um, and this year the Fan Expo has stepped in to run things. And one of the big noticeable changes when we first got in there was the show used to be stretched over three halls. They have since gotten rid of one of the halls, so it's back to just two halls which means a lot less vendors, but the attendance seemed about the same. And I think probably for the attendees, it seems like a bad thing, like there's less for them to look at. But from a vending point of view, it's amazing because we have a lot less competition for the money, the customer's money to be spread around. And um, there's less like competition. So I, I really, really like that they're shrinking down the show because that's, it's also I've noticed doing some other shows when they have a really really good year the next thing they do is add 50% additional vendors and then that's always a slower year for all of us the next year um Gregory what did you think well I was going to just mention that they brought in some pretty a guests though also to this show uh they had two of the doctors from Doctor Who and they had the main Torchwood fellow and for those of you who are not indoctrinated into uh, genre culture, that's kind of a big deal. We saw, I heard from somebody running part of the show Logistics that they had 50% more Sunday single uh, ticket sales than they had ever had before as a result of organizing good guests. And I just wanted to expand on this idea of what happens when the show footprint is shrank. I think that just gives people a chance to really think about something they saw. If they walk by your table, they saw something they liked, but they have to walk two football fields now before 
they decide that they want it, they are not going to come back to find it. It's just too far. It's just too hard if they've got their kids with them or whatever is going on. So the fact that they can walk once, twice, three times around the whole show floor and really get to know what they like, um, I think that's a real benefit to everybody. One thing I saw at this show that I'd like to sort of give a shout out to Edmonton for is what a literate group. Uh, normally I'm, you know, a lot of my work, for those of you who don't know, uh, at least for Midnight City, is predicated on the fact that you know some horror authors from H.P. Lovecraft to H.G. Wells, that you understand the pulps, you know a little bit about the golden age of comics. Like, my work is not super accessible to the average person, um, but there was a lot of people who really understood where all of my genre sort of callbacks were from and were really interested. I didn't have to do a lot of explaining or sort of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking pitching. for? Pitching. Yeah, I didn't have to do any pitching. The people would pick it up and say, oh, this has Lovecraft influence. I can tell from the cover, you know, and that's a, you know, that's a big deal for me because then the work is legitimately doing its job to sell itself. Mm -hmm. And you found that in your setup, Sam, with, uh, Okay, so for full disclosure, we had part of this conversation before we ran into the haunted house, <laughs> the haunted church, uh, and so now I'm just circling back to something we already talked about, is that I have a tendency at my table to, as soon as someone comes up, have to engage and explain and kind of like, in, like sort of shout at people in a way, um, but Sam's setup, she's a very, she um, sets up much differently, and her display does the shouting, and she just is quiet and pleasant, and uh, you had a good experience. You want to talk about that? Sure. For this show and for um, actually for three that I've done that I'm having done this year, I was a guest. So I was in a different area of the con where it's just it's one row and it's all comic creators um, or um, like published published creator guests and we just have our back kind of to a wall so we aren't really in we aren't back to back at a table with others um, in the regular marketplace we're kind of on the periphery of it and um, I was a guest at Calgary and I had a really fun time there um, at their expo show and so here I am back in Alberta for this one and uh, it was very it was very busy like I'm, I'm not going to not gonna lie it was it just seemed to be a, a huge big tons of points in the show there were just piles of people crowded at the back of guest alley and i think it was just just the way the traffic was flowing um which was awesome but also there's a big gap it's a big aisle gap between the guest tables and then the rest of artist alley on the other side so a lot of people fill it up but a lot of people walk by and my display i have basically a one tall standee banner with it's got a lot of fire and flames and stuff because I guess that's that's what's in my books um and I put it up on a chair so it's taller and then I kind of build my display up like I so I just sell books primarily um I have prints but I kind of use them um to create display uh on the table so I create these big book towers and people just they'll come from that aisle and they'll come across and they'll pick up the book in their hand and I'll say hello to them. But the thing about selling books is that um, I also have a big sign on the table, like a very large, that says Young Adult Fantasy. So people have already read that. And so they already know kind of what they're getting into or they say it. 
and they pick up the book and read it. And I want to wait for them to engage with that before I engage with them, because often they'll have questions, you know, um, what's the audience that this is for? Oh, are you the author? That usually just kind of leads into a nice chat. And but usually when the book is already in their hands, they've kind of made up their mind. Um, and it's not like there's any magic bullet to that, but I do have like, I'm very grateful for the incredible packaging that my publisher has done. Um, and the work of Eric Moore, who I worked with for many years at Cheezine, um, for cover art. Um, he's done all my covers. And so the stuff that he does is very evocative and it just kind of pulls people in, but I am kind of very much like, I like to sell in the way that I like to be sold to. I just like to be given that space to engage with it um, on my own terms first before I start talking to the person behind the table. Um, and it's different for everyone, but I did have a really great show and kind of like what I was talking about on the last episode, like when we went to Amazing Stories, I'm doing a lot of these things fresh, so I don't have any expectations um, or ideas of how it's gonna go. And um, I was just completely blown away uh, so it was it was a really nice time. I think everyone wonders what they would do if they saw a ghost. I've started doing or adding to my table setup of things called shelf talkers. Or I didn't know that's what they were called until Sam explained it to me. But they are just little signs that go on your table like she already described that just say at a distance uh, very clearly what genre or style of work it is. So because my table has stuff for kids and stuff for adults... Um, it can be off-putting if a parent sees something that seems clearly like horror related and then I'm passing something to a child that they are with and they think, oh no, that's definitely not for my kids. So the shelf doctors, shelf talkers shelf have, <laughs> the shelf doctors, um, I've written the proper prescription for my shelf talkers. And so when a parent sees like, you know, a setup that's, you know, pulp era monsters, but there's a big sign that says all ages stories on the table, um, it helps break down that barrier a little bit of like, what am I, what is here, you know? And if there's something for everybody, you know, someone sees murder mystery sign, someone sees a horror sign, and someone sees an all ages sign all in the same family that usually pulls, you know, mom, dad, and the kid all in together. Um, did you use any new tricks this year, Justin? One thing that, uh, a conversation that I had a couple times this year and something I was, I was thinking about was, um, I, I had a really busy show. It was a really good show for me. And I had a lot of people that I had been seeing for years and years and years at this show come up and were kind of not having the greatest show or they're kind of grumbling about how things were going. Um, and I was vendors, just... Vendors. vendors, yeah, different vendors, uh, like other people selling stuff. I've been doing this show for, I think, six years I've been doing this show. And a lot of the conversations that I had this weekend that I'm starting to have more and more at shows because I, I've been returning so often is people will come up to my booth and they'll start looking through things and it takes them a while, but then they go, oh, hey, you used to do, used to have this piece or that piece. We bought from you like years ago. I, it's you, but they, I don't have that piece at my table anymore, but they recognize the style and all the new pieces have drawn them in. So they're not coming back because they, re, like they were looking for that artist. It's all my new stuff has grabbed them. So I get to sell to those people again. And I think a lot of these people who I talk to who are grumbling, and some of them are, are straight up going to be stopping conventions, they don't have any new stuff at their table. So those same people who bought from them as well a couple of years ago go up to their table and see the exact same table that they saw years ago, and there's nothing really new for them. And that's something I've been thinking about a lot, how 
both myself and Gregory and Samantha keep pumping out new works. So every time people come to our tables, there's a couple familiar things, but there's so much new stuff that there's a reason to keep coming back again and again and again. And I think some people just do enough work that they think they're done. And that's going to, if it's successful the first year, they just assume it's going to just keep on going forever and ever and ever. And it's starting to catch up with them. There is an attitude that I find sometimes uh, just in publishing in general, but specifically at shows, that you're going to find something that works and then you're just going to take, let your sort of let go of the wheel and let it drive itself as if somehow... Um, you know, a life in the arts means you get to escape working hard. Um, and that's probably true for some of them for a year or two at a time. And it certainly doesn't help the perspective of uh, uh, the regular um, nine-to-fivers that, you know, art can be a thing that you work just as hard at. You know, like we put in eight or ten hours a day every day of the work week and often a lot more of that to do the thing that we have to do. And sometimes the muse is there and it's like a passionate embrace of you and your artwork and you just feel the joy of doing it and you just can't believe that this could possibly be your job. And other times you had that already. The idea time is over and it's just execution now. You just have to follow through and, and do the work. Yeah, leave the muse is unreliable. It does not show up on order right so you just have to hunker down and and get it done and people who are i you know by we have not done any sort of scientific data collection here but um anecdotally the people who i'm finding are having poorer times at shows are also putting in less and less work on having something new and while you may be thinking like well if it sells once you know it's different people coming you're forgetting i think the x factor which is you, the artist, at the table. And I feel very strongly that the um, enthusiasm that you have becomes contagious for your own new work. And when all you're doing is selling something or trying to show people something that is years and years old, it might be new to them, but it's old to you. And that comes across, I think, a little bit. Um, I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, like what you said about that X factor, that's a huge, it's a huge point. Like uh, people are paying for the experience to get it, not just to get your art, but to like meet you and talk to you. And, you know, when they look at that piece on their wall, they can be like, yeah, that guy was really nice. And it was such a joy to support him. And like um, Justin now has branded bags. So because of that, it makes it easier to spot people who have bought his stuff. And what ended up happening is uh, quite a few times at the show is that people, Justin was on the other side of Artist Alley from Guest Alley and people would eventually make their way to me and they would just have these chasing artwork bags. And one of them came to my table and bought a bunch of stuff and we were chatting and I was like, oh, I see you got Justin's stuff. Uh, And, you know, he was really, really excited to talk about Justin, not about the work. Like he was like, yeah, I've bought from him for years, but Justin's really nice. And he actually made this comment to prove your point that it's been he said it's been really exciting to watch Justin grow as an artist at this show because I've been coming to the show as long as he's been at the show and it's been great to see him start from that little artist alley table to now being like one of the biggest exhibitors 
in the whole thing. And that, and what really made me happy is that I have artwork from when he started out. Aw, yeah. <laughs> That's really sweet. We all go a little mad sometimes. Haven't you? We had a lot of fun at the show with these two girls who, I think they originally came to my booth, and they picked up, they each got a copy of Rust and Water. It's the graphic novel that Gregor and I published, I think it's been a year and a half, two years now. Um, so we published Rust and Water, and the same as Cassie and Tonk, we left a blank page at the beginning of the book. So every book, rather than just getting signed, comes with a custom piece of artwork. We do a quick sketch at the show. Um, if you ever find them in bookstores, we usually sit down and spend a little more time on the drawings. And if you order any of them online as well, every book comes with a sketch. There is not a blank book ever sold. If somebody has a blank book, it has been stolen and you should run and tackle that person. So these girls came and they bought the books and Gregory and I usually do this thing where we kind of take jabs at each other through customers. So when I finished my sketch, I told the girls, okay, so now that you have the book for me, the the other writer is here as well. He's just at the other end of this row. He's going to do a free sketch for you as well. But tell him this time to put a bit of effort into it and try to make it like half as good as mine. And they loved it. They had so much fun. So they went to Gregory and then this happened. So these two ladies show up and they have these books and they're, they have this just mischievous look on their faces. And I was like, oh, hello. And they're like, yeah, would you mind drawing in our books? And I was like, oh, yeah, it'd be my pleasure. Thank you so much for picking it up. And then they said, and, you know, try to do a good job this time. And then they both broke out laughing, and I knew exactly, and I probably swore at Justin. Uh, I'll leave it off the podcast so you don't have to beep it down. Uh, so fine. So I do a pretty good job, and Justin had drawn in black and white. So I did a piece in color. And then I said, well, you better take it back to Justin and show him that I've done color. And then a few, you know, five, ten minutes later, they come back. Justin's repainted in the other side. So I added a character on my side and it went back and forth like this. And the people who were at our table engaging in other things were watching this ridiculous display. And I honestly, we've never done anything quite to that extreme. But these two girls were enjoying the grudge match, the, the good-hearted grudge match between our draw-offs, so much so that they ran, you know, they must have done a kilometer back and forth between the two booths, like, during the course of the show. And I think, um, you know, if you're having fun and they're having fun, you're the ambassador of the show, right? Like, what they'll remember, I mean, if they read the book and they don't like it, they'll at least remember that they had this fun experience where everyone was kibitzing and having a good time, um... And if all you're after is their money, they feel that too. And I think that that's an important distinction, that you're not just there. I mean, we're talking about selling because we do this as a job. But whatever you do, you have to do as your job. You have to labor in order to live in the world that we have. So you might as well have a little bit of fun along the way. Occasionally stop at a haunted church on the road of your life is, I guess, what I'm saying. Um, that black truck that went by did, like yeah. Black, like, government facility. Yeah, that's stuff. true. So there was a giant black truck that just passed us, like a huge semi, but it was painted matte black, both the truck and the and the load to match. It was definitely some sort of government genetics experiment that's moving from town to town. 
Yeah. Justin also has a great idea, business idea. He thinks that um, some trucking companies should invent on-the-road speakeasies. That was my idea. Uh, and that's Don't a, give it to Justin. And that's how publishing is done. <laughs> Another Chasing Artwork original, folks. No Sam Biko involvement whatsoever. Uh, so somebody in this car came up with the idea <laughs> that... Someone should invent a on-the-road speakeasy, kind of like the old Knight Rider cartoon, or a cartoon. I guess it felt like a cartoon because it had David Hasselhoff's acting, but it was in fact a live-action show where your car could drive up into the back of a semi-trailer and then be served booze. <laughs> Sounds terrible. It does sound bad, but I assume then the truck would drop you off where you were going in order to comply with all traffic and alcohol regulations. Do you have anything to add to your speakeasy idea, Sam? Only that it's the best, and anything that comes out of my mouth is actually pure gold, and that uh, this whole podcast is my idea. Having new stuff on the table um, is actually imperative to selling the old stuff, and as an author, I find that more and more, uh, because it's it was my giant tower of sequels that sold me out of book one uh, that I had on the table that people were coming up to and they'd pick it up and I'd be like oh uh, just to let you know that that's the sequel to this book and they'd pick up book one and they'd be like okay well I'll buy both um so that actually does it does help you um you know move stuff that you've already put out maybe it didn't have it gives it a second life too or also just you know um with books it's a little different with artwork but with books um my first book, I was actually considering taking it off the table because it was, you know, kind of, I felt it was dated for me and, um, but I was kind of all tied up in like my own personal self-critic stuff. Um, uh, the book is The Lake in the Library and I wrote it many, many, many years ago, but it's like, I just started selling out of it again. And then all of a sudden I realized in practice that this may be old to me, but it's new to someone else. And that is very important as well. Um, but also just not only having new stuff, but um, especially if someone wants to come and support you. Um, wasn't going to say new stuff. It's just, I've already lost my train of thought. Dear listener, this is producer Dan. I just wanted to let you know that I received these files, these audio files, on a, a thumb drive. It was left in my mailbox at work. Not sure where it came from or who left it there. I assumed it was Gregory, uh, but now I'm not sure. The, uh, the audio ends there. Uh, I've not heard back from Gregory, Justin, or Samantha since they returned to Winnipeg. Hopefully they did return to Winnipeg. Uh, I'm not sure. I guess you'll have to wait till next episode to find out. Let's hope they didn't bring along a specter or poltergeist from that haunted church they stopped at. In any case, until next episode, remember, join the fight and make comics.